Part One, Chapter Seven of In Chancery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Recording by Eva Harnick. The Forsyth Saga, Volume Two, In Chancery by John Galsworthy. Part One, Chapter Seven, The Cold and the filly. When young Wal left the presence of the last generation, he was thinking, This is jolly dull. Uncle Soames does take the bun. I wonder what this filly is like. He anticipated no pleasure from her society, and suddenly he saw her standing there looking at him. Why, she was pretty. What luck! I'm afraid you don't know me, he said. My name is Val Darty. I am once removed, second cousin, something like that, you know. My mother's name was Forsyth. Holly, whose slim brown hand remained in his because she was too shy to withdraw it, said, I don't know any of my relations. Are there many? Tons. They are awful, most of them. At least, I don't know some of them. One's relations always are, aren't they? I expect they think one awful, too, said Holly. I don't know why they should. No one could think you awful, of course. Holly looked at him. The wistful candor in those gray eyes gave young Wal a sudden feeling that he must protect her. I mean there are people and people, he added astutely. Your dad looks awfully decent, for instance. Oh, yes, said Holly fervently. He is. A flush mounted in Val's cheeks. That scene in the pandemonium promenade, the dark man with the pink carnation developing into his own father. But you know what the foresights are, he said almost viciously. Oh, I forgot, you don't. What are they? Oh, fearfully careful, not sportsmen a bit. Look at Uncle Soames. I would like to, said Holly. Val resisted a desire to run his arms through hers. Oh, no, he said, let's go out. You'll see him quite soon enough. What is your brother like? Holly led the way onto the terrace and down to the lawn without answering. How describe Jolly, who ever since she remembered anything had been her lord, master and ideal? Does he sit on you? said Val shrewdly. I shall be knowing him at Oxford. Have you got any horses? Holly nodded. Would you like to see the stables? Rather. They passed under the oak tree through a thin shrubbery into the stable yard. There, under a clock tower, lay a fluffy brown and white dog, so old that he did not get up, but faintly waved the tail curled over his back. That is Balthazar, said Holly. He is so old, awfully old, nearly as old as I am. Poor old boy. He's devoted to dad. Balthazar, that's a rum name. He isn't purebred, you know. 
No, but he's a darling, and she went down to stroke the dog, gentle and supple, with dark-covered head and slim brown neck and hands. She seemed to Val strange and sweet, like a thing slipped between him and all previous knowledge. When Grandfather died, she said, he would not eat for two days. He saw him die, you know. Was that old Uncle Jolyon? Mother always said he was a topper. He was, said Holly simply, and opened the stable door. In a loose box stood a silver roan of about fifteen hands with a long black tail and mane. This is mine, fairy. Ah, said Val, she is a jolly palfrey, but you ought to bang her tail. She would look much smarter. Then, catching her wandering look, he thought suddenly, I don't know anything she likes. And he took a long sniff of the stable air. Horses are ripping, aren't they? My dad... He stopped. Yes, said Holly. An impulse to unbosom himself almost overcame him, but not quite. Oh! I don't know. He has often gone a mucker over them. I am jolly keen on them, too, riding and hunting. I like racing awfully as well. I should like to be a gentleman rider. And oblivious of the fact that he had but one more day in town, with two engagements, he plumped out. I say, if I hire a G tomorrow, will you come a ride in Richmond Park? Holly clasped her hands. Oh, yes, I simply love riding. But there is Jolly's horse. Why don't you ride him? Here he is. We could go after tea. Val looked doubtfully at his trousered legs. He had imagined them immaculate before her eyes in high brown boots and bedfoot cords. I don't much like riding his horse, he said. He might not like it. Besides, Uncle Soames wants to get back, I expect. Not that I believe in buckling under to him, you know. You haven't got an uncle, have you? This is rather a good beast, he added, scrutinizing Jolly's horse, a dark brown, which was showing the whites of its eyes. You haven't got any hunting here, I suppose? No, I don't know that I want to hunt. It must be awfully exciting, of course, but it is cruel, isn't it? June says so. Cruel? ejaculated Val. Oh, that's all rot. Who is June? My sister, my half-sister, you know, much older than me. She had put her hands up to both cheeks of Jolly's horse and was rubbing her nose against its nose with a gentle snuffling noise which seemed to have a hypnotic effect on the animal. Val contemplated her cheek resting against the horse's nose and her eyes gleaming round at him. She's really a duck, he thought. They returned to the house less talkative, followed this time by the dog Balthazar, walking more slowly than anything on earth, and clearly expecting them not to exceed his speed limit. 
"'This is a ripping place,' said Val from under the oak tree, where they had paused to allow the dog Balthazar to come up. "'Yes,' said Holly, and sighed. "'Of course I want to go everywhere. I wish I were a gypsy.' "'Yes, gypsies are jolly,' replied Val, with a conviction which had just come to him. "'You are rather like one, you know.' Holly's face shone suddenly and deeply, like dark leaves gilded by the sun. To go mad rabbiting everywhere and see everything and live in the open, oh, wouldn't it be fun? Let's do it, said Val. Oh, yes, let's. It would be grand sport, just you and I. Then Holly perceived the quaintness and gushed. Well, we have got to do it said Val obstinately, but reddening too. I believe in doing things you want to do. What's down there? The kitchen garden and the pond and the coppice and the farm. Let's go down. Holly glanced back at the house. It is tea time, I expect. There is that beckoning. Val, uttering a growly sound, followed her towards the house. When they re-entered the hall gallery, the sight of two middle-aged Forsytes drinking tea together had its magical effect, and they became quite silent. It was indeed an impressive spectacle. The two were seated side by side on an arrangement in marquetry, which looked like three silvery-pink chairs made one with a low tea-table in front of them. They seemed to have taken up that position as far apart as the seat would permit, so that they need not look at each other too much, and they were eating and drinking rather than talking. Soames, with his air of despising the tea-cake as it disappeared, Jolyon of finding himself slightly amusing. To the casual eye, neither would have seemed greedy. But both were getting through a good deal of sustenance. The two young ones having been supplied with food, the process went on silent and absorbative. Till with the advent of cigarettes, Jolyon said to Soames, And how's Uncle James? Thanks. Very shaky. We are a wonderful family, aren't we? The other day I was calculating the average age of the ten old Forsytes from my father's family Bible. I make it eighty-four already, and five still living. They ought to beat the record. And looking whimsically at Soames, he added, We aren't the men they were, you know. Soames smiled. Do you really think I shall admit that I am not their equal, he seemed to be saying, or that I have got to give up anything, especially life? We may live to their age, perhaps, pursued Jolyon, but self-consciousness is a handicap, you know, and that is the difference between us. We have lost conviction. How and when self-consciousness was born, I never can make out. My father had a little, but I don't believe any other of the old Forsytes ever had a scrap.
never to see yourself as others see you it is a wonderful preservative the whole history of the last century is in the difference between us and between us and you he added gazing through a ring of smoke at val and holly uncomfortable under his quizzical regard there will be another difference i wonder what soames took out his watch we must go he said if we are to catch our train uncle soames never misses a train muttered val with his mouth full why should i soames answered simply oh i don't know grumbled val other people do at the front door he gave holly's slim brown hand a long and surreptitious squeeze look out for me tomorrow he whispered three o'clock i will wait for you in the road it will save time we'll have a ripping ride he gazed back at her from the lodge gate and but for the principles of a man about town would have waved his hand he felt in no mood to tolerate his uncle's conversation but he was not in danger soames preserved a perfect muteness busy with faraway thoughts the yellow leaves came down about those two walking the mile and a half which soames had traversed so often in those long-ago days when he came down to watch with secret pride the building of the house that house which was to have been the home of him and her from whom he was now going to seek release he looked back once up that endless vista of autumn lane between the yellowing hedges what an age ago i don't want to see her he had said to jolyon was that true i may have to he thought and he shivered seized by one of those queer shudderings that they say mean footsteps on one's grave a chilly world a queer world and glancing sidelong at his nephew he thought wish i were his age i wonder what she's like now End of part one, chapter seven, The Colt and the Filly.